0: in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the Weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground.
1: Welcome, everyone. So tonight we're finishing up this discussion on the Buddhist personality types. And of course, as I mentioned last week, Whenever we, you know, use any sort of system of describing ourselves or describing other people, it's easy to use it in terms of comparing and judging who's better, who's worse. And the point I made last week is the idea is to more easily see or more easily recognize the mind that's manifesting in the moment. And I suggested this during the guided sit. So. You know, when we are aware of the breath going in, aware of the breath going out, or maybe you use hearing as your anchor, and there's that simple awareness of hearing. But there's always the mind that's knowing that sound, or knowing the breath coming in. And in a sense, it's it's part of the present moment. The object and the mind knowing the object, ultimately, Awareness, you know, we discover that awareness can be pure, it can be simple. But initially, the knowing is colored by our personality. Sometimes our knowing, you know, knowing the breath is colored by impatience. Sometimes it's colored by greed. Sometimes it's colored by doubt. So we want to notice, not just in our practice, but all day long. The different personalities or the different conditioned mind states through which we're seeing, observing our life, because it really matters. It's like we had, each of us had this kind of day, right? That so much of what this kind of day means, it isn't so much whether this person said this to you or said that to you, as much as that means how we were relating to whatever the person said to us. That's as much a factor in terms of how it is, how the day was for us, as what actually happened, in a sense. And so the homework homework from last week was to just begin to track the personality or to track the way the mind is relating throughout the day. How does our mind, what sort of conditioned patterns arise when we're in difficult experience? What sort of conditioned patterns do you notice when things are really easy and good for you? What sort of conditioned patterns do you notice around family, like your father or mother or siblings? What sort of conditioned personality patterns do you notice when you're around your partner or lovers or good friends, around your cat? when nobody's around, what sort of personality manifests. And uh, one of the powerful things we discover, if we're willing to track that, and it's a little disconcerting to, in a sense, step back and use the mind to know the mind. So we're observing how the mind is, how the mind is relating, how the mind is seeing. It's disconcerting because it's not consistent. I mean, intellectually, we all know that our personality isn't consistent. But in a deep way, we have a feeling that I'm the same person now that I was earlier today when I was really angry or earlier today when I was really happy or 40 years ago when I was a teenager. We just assume we're the same person, but when we start to just observe this honest, relaxed, continuous, mindful presence, and we're just noticing how the personality is in all the different situations that rolls through our day, and then it becomes—it becomes—it's disconcerting because it becomes obvious of the inconsistency of the personality. I mean, it can change very quickly. We can be in a deep funk, and then we realize there's a good comedy on TV, you know, and all of a sudden we're happy. I've got something to do for two hours. Or we can be, you know, happy, and then all of a sudden we remember something from the past. And it can completely change the world we're living in. Just that five-second flash of, oh, yeah, you know, the moment of remembering shame or some powerful resentment we have toward another person, you know how it just leaves an imprint in the mind. It colors the mind in a way that doesn't quickly change or at least sometimes doesn't quickly change. So we inhabit that mood, that way of seeing, way of being, for a while. That when we maintain this thread of mindfulness, of mindful awareness through the day, and then day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we're tracking as best we can the way the mind is, what sort of personality or what kind of conditioned patterns are being triggered, brought to the surface, acted out, it becomes harder and harder to take any of it personally or even seriously. Because we realize that whatever particular personality is manifesting now, that it's not self, that it's really arising because of the different proximate causes, you know, what else is going on right now. Different situations. Inner situations, outer situations, inner circumstances, outer circumstances trigger the different coherent patterns of our personality. And we start to have a lighter, more spacious relationship to the conditioned patterns of the mind, which of course makes it easier to have this continuity of awareness, which makes the mind have more insight. Becomes more spacious, more forgiving, more patient with the different conditioned patterns that arise. I mean, to me, this is as good of a definition for the awakening, pat- the path of awakening, or just basic human maturity. For me, the best definition is how much space do we have around the conditioned patterns of our mind? If we don't have much space, basically we either we either get completely identified with the different patterns that have been triggered, or we become reactive to them. Like we're feeling a lot of shame, and then we react to the shame by saying, "I don't want to be the person who's ashamed. I'm tired of being ashamed all the time. Who can I lash out at? You know, or something like that." So either we're Acting out a pattern, or acting out a pattern that's a reaction to the pattern that's been triggered. That's not having any space. But when we track, when we understand that it's relevant to use the mind to know the mind, so we're inspired, we have faith that it's relevant, that it's a worthy pursuit, and then we actually do it, we create the skill, we generate, develop the skill to be mindfully aware of the mind, of the patterns, coherent patterns of a personality, and we track it with some degree of continuity, so we see, even in one day, even in one hour or less, we see so many different personalities manifesting. You know, we might in one moment notice, oh, this is just like my dad. You know, and then the next moment we realise this is just like my mom used to do, you know. And then another moment, you know, it's like there's these basic patterns, you know, we might identify them with different people, but we we realise we're this collection. That's what's actually happening. We can be really stupid and we can be really intelligent, we can be really kind and we can be really despicable and mean. And we can be completely in denial. <laughs> so we can be all those things and then very much in denial of them. And we can be all those things and very much honest about, oh, it's like this. So there's quite a diversity. And wouldn't it be nice, like this would be a, an appropriate pop quiz at Ground, you know, where you'd be asked by one of your Dharma friends, one of your friends that meditates, Okay, how's your practice going? Tell me the ten most predominant patterns, coherent patterns that arose today for you. You know, and we should be able to notice. Well, you know, around ten o'clock, you know, I got stuck in traffic and I noticed this particular coherent pattern arise, and I saw it clearly. And then, you know, at 1.30, you know, after overeating. And this and these other proximate causes, this personality pattern, you know, the sloth man or something, (laughs) manifested for a while. You know how it is, once you've overindulged in something, it's like the only thing the mind wants to do is overindulge in another thing. We overindulge in news, and then we want to overindulge in food, and then we want to overindulge in sleep. And then it starts getting scary because we don't know what else there is to overindulge in. So, and that's a particular, you know, like hungry ghost. In Buddhism, we might call that the hungry ghost personality. In the Buddhist cosmology, you know, there are different realms of existence, hellish realms and animal realms and human realms and celestial realms and even beyond that, immaterial realms of just pure love, things like that. But all these realms are still in the world of causes and conditions, birth and death, good and bad, still in the dualistic world. And one of the realms is the hungry ghost realm, where beings have huge bellies signifying a powerful appetite, but the mouth is only as big as a pinhole, so they can never satisfy their appetite. You know, and this is one of the personalities that manifest. Another one of the realms is the realm of the warring gods, and it's people who feel like powerful. I'm good looking, or I'm intelligent, or I've got a lot of money, or I've got a big car, you know. And we get in that warring god realm when we feel powerful, not just that we feel powerful, but we want to play with power. We want to sort of mess around with power. And then, and uh, some of the classical uh, depictions of the warring god realm, you know, they're throwing thunderbolts around and, you know, just sort of warring because they can, you know, going to war, competing, fighting, wrestling, because that's what they can do. So they do. And you can do this, you know, it's not just physical power. You can do this with beauty. You can do this with emotional intelligence, you know, just like manipulating people because you can, playing games because you can. So this is another type of personality that can manifest. And then, they, you know, the animal realm has a particular personality. You know, the animal realm is always looking like like a squirrel. You watch a squirrel or you watch a bird or you watch a deer, you know, and they're looking for food and they're looking for danger and, and they're just sort of in this uh, very narrow world of mating and food and danger and being safe. And that's it. And we can be in bliss realms, you know. I just love everybody. I mean, really, I do. (laughs) And everything is fine. And I don't know what you guys think all the problems are, you know. And we can be in those sort of lofty realms where we're just not touched by dirt and problems. And we just, everything has a soft, beautiful glow to it. And we can be in those critical realms where all we see is the messiness. I dropped my wife off um, earlier today downtown. I was just noticing, (laughs) I don't drive downtown very much. I didn't realize what a celestial realm Seward neighborhood
2: is.
1: (laughs) You know, trees are green, there are trees. There's sort of a certain civility. But, you know, downtown, it's a mess, and there's a lot of construction this time of year. and I just also notice that people dress differently. You know, it's just there's just so much more of that presentational energy downtown than it I see in Seward neighborhood. I mean I don't really usually go much further than a half mile. <laughs> My house is just a little bit away from here, so and the Seward co op's close by and I have the river to take a walk when I have time and so we live in these bubbles, you know, little Deva realm, and then we go to another bubble and a different personality comes out, you know. And I could be either really judgmental or I could be really impatient, like get me out of here, you know, or you know, just bitter about the world. Oh, so much greed. And, you know, that, that, that's not compassion or that's not wisdom. That's really a rigid mind state, critical mind state. And this is really our task, is to become fluent about the different patterns. And again, not to judge ourselves, but to really create the ground for insight. The insight is we're transforming our relationship to these different uh, conditioned patterns of the mind, or coherent patterns of the personality. So right now, immediately, we get identified, when I'm angry, it's not like an awareness there is anger. It's just a conditioned pattern. No, I'm angry. You know, if I'm greedy, then no, I'm greedy. But the more we track this over and over again, week after week after week, naturally, organically, without anybody having to do anything, it just grows. The sense of spacious, spaciousness or perspective just grows. So if you look back, if you've been practicing for a while, formally, informally, and you look back five years, and how much space you had around the different patterns of your personality versus how it is now, do you notice more perspective, more space, more forgiveness, more patience with the different patterns that come up? Less judgment, less shame, less needing to control... I didn't say, do you notice that you don't have those conditioned patterns that you used to have. I mean, maybe some of them do fall away. I think that's that's true. But that's not really, the the path of awakening isn't dependent so much on the old patterns (coughs) disappearing. It's much more about what the mind does when the pattern arises. Does it get identified and then reinforce the pattern, act it out blindly? as if it's me, the way it is, or does it maintain this wise perspective, this sense of space? And so even though there's a strong impulse to act out the angry man personality or the greedy man personality or the I'm-so-stupid personality, but the mind just doesn't pick it up. It sees it. It feels. It can even feel quite strongly the impulse to live out that personality pattern but it just doesn't go there anymore. It just knows better. And it isn't even so much I'm restraining myself from being that person, from acting out that way. It's the wisdom, it's the understanding that this is just conditioning. This is just habit energy. It's not self. A lot of people get confused about this whole teaching from the Buddha, on anatta, the not-self characteristic. Or emptiness, sometimes it's referred to. It's really talking about when we use words like emptiness, we're saying that honestly, directly, when we see, when we open to experience, we don't find a permanent center to whom the experience belongs, to whom uh, you know is responsible for the experience. There is experience that's being known, but we don't find a center. That's an insight. This insight grows naturally. It isn't like some philosophical idea that we have to master. It's it's mastered by the mind coming into alignment with the way it is. And one of the most important ways to do this is in terms of the personality. To become a student of the personality is completely different than being driven by the different personality patterns that have been imprinted on the mind. The more just observing the mind itself is weakening our identification, the mind's identification with the conditioned patterns. And it's just, we have to be so forgiving because it makes so much sense it's so unavoidable, unavoidable that we have these conditioned patterns there's nobody to blame it just comes with having a mind and a body this life given how it is given how we're raised we have conditioning from the Theravada Buddhist point of view if you didn't have any conditioning you wouldn't have taken birth We need sort of this leftover momentum, I guess you'd say, to take birth like we do. So part of the practice is to just track through the day. And then when you get good at tracking, then the next stage really is to just notice, not to try to control, but just to notice if you're judging what you're observing you are noticing in terms of the personality, because we might think that the idea is to observe in order to see the bad conditioned patterns of the personality, and then to hate them, or something like that. It seems so. That would be so appropriate when we're misbehaving, you know, because we've all absorbed one of the patterns we've absorbed is being the parent, and so we're the parent watching the mind behave in the world you know we get that finger wagging I'm doing that again so we need to replace that judgmental with realize that there's another way to relate to what we're seeing so notice the judging and notice that that's just another personality pattern oh so this is the amazing thing we'll be observing some mind state some way the mind is relating But then immediately in the next moment we have to notice that that which is observing is also uh, manifesting a personality pattern. So then we have to look at that. So there's there's no comfortable seat in mindfulness practice because life is quite dynamic. It's always changing. So the awareness, mindfulness is always moment by moment. So we see something and then we have to see the next moment and then we have to see the next moment and then the next moment there's really no room for judgment and we don't need it it's not helpful we just open opening seeing is enough this is a radical notion because part of the sense of self you know that that pattern of our mind where we take things personally then if we do realize that there's some problems in my life then Because I'm taking things personally, then I have to fix it. But from the Buddha's point of view, there's nobody that needs to fix anything. There's just misperception happening, and through practice, less misperception happening, and through the development of practice, very little misperception happening, and through the ending of practice, no more misperception happening. From the Buddhist point of view, the only problem is not seeing things as they are. The mind is just not connecting clearly because it's being, the seeing, the connecting is being distorted by these different personality patterns because they're being taken personally. It's not the pattern itself that's distorting, it's the identification with it that's distorting. So, the, the real trick then is, is not to try to control the different patterns, the different personality, the different uh, conditioned patterns that have been triggered by the moment, but to just be be willing to be aware of them. Oh, this is what's being felt. This is how the mind is. This is the mood or attitude. It's like this now. And there's always an attitude. Right? Like a lot of times we think, We'll check, you know, okay, no attitude, (laughs) no attitude. But there's always an attitude. So there's like, so there's a sense of respect, like a willing to be quiet and to be patient and to look and to look and to look or to open and open and open. And we'll start to see what we normally don't see. You know how it's, uh, teachers sometimes say, you know, we used to have your little journals. We, in I think sixth grade, we all got to build terrariums. It's great. I think there were like 25 aquariums in the room. You know, we cut glass and we divided some to land and some to water, and had different fish and creatures. Some had frogs. Some different plants in the dry areas. And of course, you can imagine how sticky the classroom got after a couple of months. But we would observe, you know, and write down things. And you know. As a kid, yeah, there are leaves, you know there's water and you know, that's like the sophistication of our observation and it, it takes a respect to be willing to relax enough to see what else is going on. We miss so much. I mean think about the last time bring to mind one of your close friends. think about the last time you really showed up. In a sense, like, you you didn't come with some expectation or some idea of who the person was or is, but you saw them, felt them, connected with them as this dynamic living, like whatever they are, it's this now, not my idea of who they are, what they did in the past, but it's who or what they are right now. We don't do that. We don't do that too much. It's like even with something as ordinary as our kitchen, something we're in a couple hours each day, you know, and then all of a sudden one day you're in the kitchen and you actually show up and you realize, like, how much you find the paint unattractive or how much you like this. or I mean, things that were always there but you'd never been there or that that spaghetti sauce has been on the wall for, it's been three months since I had spaghetti. (laughs) And yet you never saw it. You just hadn't been there. Or even looking at your own face or your own body and just being present with that. So this is what we have to learn in terms of interest in the mind, interest in the different patterns of the mind. Because it's seen at this level of subtlety that really changes how we relate to the mind. If we don't see it deeply, we're going to continue seeing it superficially, which means we're going to continue to take the different patterns personally, get identified, get attached, act them out blindly, because that's what's going to feel, seem appropriate. So we need this neutral, non-judging awareness. So we're tracking, and then we're tracking the different patterns without judgment. So a real respect, a respect like, We're respected enough that we're going to show up without an agenda, without a point of view, without trying to fix the personality, but just wanting to do pure research. How is it now? Who's showing up now? Now who's showing up? And how is it? I mean, it sounds a little bit like we're going to be disconnected. And at first, it does feel a little awkward to be aware of how we are in the moment. But that's only initially. After a while, it becomes quite fluent. Doesn't seem, you know, it's like uh, if somebody said, OK, when you drive home tonight, I want you to be aware of driving home. And we actually might become a worse driver initially. You know, like that that task to be aware of what, when we're driving and what we're doing when we're driving might seem like throw us off our groove But actually, it only helps ultimately. We just don't know how to do it, so it's awkward at first. Because that quiet presence doesn't have to stop or gum up anything, it's not actually in the way of anything. We can be aware and still let ourselves, you know, let the body and mind do its thing. But it's a skill. You know, it's a skill that we're just probably, to be honest, we're all just beginning to figure out that that's possible. That there can be this silent, simple, pure knowing there, in the, right in the middle of our being, or our beingness, And the personality just doing its thing, the body, the world just doing its thing. And this is, this is itself already, you might think, well, this is just the beginning. But in a way, this is already, there's a lot of freedom just in operating this way. Wisdom operating as that silent, simple, pure knowing. Because already there's a lot of space, a lot of non-attachment, non-identification with our life the body-mind doing its thing. It's doing its thing still. And in a way, we're more free to do our thing because we've already had to um, release a lot of the judgment. And so that's one of the things to notice in this practice of observing the mind, and in particular, the different personality patterns. Notice the freedom that comes just in observing the patterns. I mean, in a way, it's a a little bit exhilarating to notice yourself getting upset, for example, getting, like, an argument starts and it starts to get a little heated. And because you're practicing, there's that simple, silent presence knowing that there's this interaction, knowing that it's getting heated up, knowing that You know, the mind's in this struggle trying to convince this person or trying to win the argument or feeling put upon by the other person's trying to win the argument. And there's a it's a it's an exhilarating experience because when things heat up like that there's a lot of energy. But normally we're so tied up in knots, identified, we don't notice how alive life is. All the time, actually. But when we maintain that sort of presence in the middle of our anger, in the middle of our joy, in the middle of our greed, in the middle of our kindness and compassion, in the middle of all the different personality patterns that manifest, notice what that's like. Notice the taste of freedom in being aware of the mind instead of being trapped by the different patterns. So we're learning to track. We're learning whether there's judging or not. When there's no judging, we're noticing that taste of freedom that comes with the continuity of awareness of the mind without judgment. And then, sort of another um, practice. This is uh, from Jack Kornfield's chapter that he recommends it makes so much sense, and we talk about this a lot, is as we're there tracking and not judging, can we start to notice the seeds of wisdom, the seeds of um, wholesomeness, in all of the different personality patterns that manifest? So even when there's a lot of greed in the mind or a lot of anger in the mind, a lot of confusion in the mind, are we able to see the seeds of wholesomeness? Something beautiful. Because normally, you know, having fear based patterns most of the time, normally we more quickly pick out what's wrong in a situation. Or at least people like me do. So now we want to be we wanna be able to highlight what's wholesome. I mean imagine the kind of world we live in if you know we hung out with a group of friends and as we were hanging out Everybody had this continuity of wise presence that was discerning beauty in us continuously. So we were observing beauty in us and in others, and they were observing beauty in themselves and in us. Like we were seeing beautiful things. Like, you know, we could look around the room right now. And we could maybe like with a critical mind like get a "Oh, I think that person's maybe sleepy or dull, not really paying attention. This person I can tell is a little arrogant, you know this person is doubtful. but also we could just pick out like uh, this person seems really engaged. This person seems really relaxed, peaceful. So what is what is the mind highlighting and can we train the mind? At times, at least, to highlight what's beautiful in terms of the patterns it sees, we see in our own minds, and the patterns we see in other people's minds. Now, this is challenging for people with more aversive personalities, but it's powerfully transforming. And it really, it not only changes our own sort of inner environment, but it changes the environment that we're around, and it's contagious. Just like being critical is contagious. You know, if we're around a lot of critical people, we tend to become critical. I mean, initially we might just pick up, like, well, maybe I am bad. Maybe I am doing something wrong. (laughs) You know? But we just tend to vibrate together. And if people are in that uh, place of being able to pick out, even if it's just a little seed that hasn't really bloomed much, flowered much, something beautiful, it's actually a way of watering the wholesome qualities, the wholesome patterns. And this is an important principle that it would be really good to check out to see if it's actually true in your experience. So when you notice an afflictive pattern present in your mind, and then you bring that quiet, pure, simple presence, you're aware of it, not judging it, not trying to get rid of it or control it, but just Interested in understanding it as it actually is in the moment What happens with afflictive states when one is being mindful? And when you notice a wholesome state of mind like just a organic quality of generosity the hearts feeling generous open or the hearts feeling kind or the hearts feeling peaceful and Because you've been practicing, you've got that thread of simple, pure, silent presence that's aware of that wholesome pattern. What happens to the wholesome pattern when it's being met, being seen by mindfulness? What effect does mindfulness have with afflictive patterns? What effect does mindfulness have with wholesome patterns? And so I'll suggest this, but check it out. Mindfulness weakens, undermines, afflictive patterns of mind. Mindfulness opens up, strengthens wholesome patterns. This isn't wishful thinking. This actually happens. And it's not because I'm trying to make the wholesome pattern get bigger, deeper, stronger, or I'm trying to get rid of the afflictive, unwholesome pattern. But when the mind, when that, it's like a, you know, a beautiful mirror. And then let's say there's an afflictive emotional pattern. That beautiful, pure mirror just reflects. And what does it reflect? It reflects how painful, how unproductive or unnecessary the afflictive state is. And that's the cause for it to be diminished, to fall apart. Because as that's understood, as that's saying, does it make sense to be identified? Does it make sense to jump on that bandwagon? How to become that person who's angry, who's greedy, who's envious or jealous or whatever. And when we open with mindfulness to a wholesome pattern, notice how... It's like we see no bottom to it. Like when we really notice that the heart is generous, one of the aspects of these wholesome states of mind, like generosity, gratitude, forgiveness, kindness, joy, equanimity. If there if they are the actual state, these wholesome states, there really isn't a bottom, there isn't an end to these wholesome states because these wholesome states in a way are different facets or different qualities of emptiness itself. It's like equanimity, joy, kindness, compassion, gratitude, forgiveness, patience. They're not actually states. They're the absence of afflictive states. Does that make sense? So if you see the absence of something, what is that experience of no greed in the mind, or that experience of no hate in the mind, you know, it's boundless. Like when there's no hate in the mind and you're really looking, it really opens up. Because it's not a constructed state. Hate, being hateful, being angry, we have the mind has to construct that state. You know, I have to construct an idea of me and who did something bad to me and how they should be blamed or something like that. That's all constructed, put together by ideas. But is love constructed? Well, if it is, then it's not the love we're talking about. Because sometimes there is an organic, a natural love, a universal love, or a universal sense of gratitude, or generosity, or any of these qualities of wholesome states. And they are, uh, in Buddhism, we, we call them you know, unbounded states, immeasurable states, boundless states. So you could check and see if that's true. And so just to just to review and then I'll open it up for discussion. So we're we're committing to tracking as best we can continuity through the day of the different conditioned personality patterns that are manifesting at that moment. And then we're noticing if there's judgment And when there isn't judgment, we can't control this. We're just noticing. Is there judgment or is there not judgment? And when there's not judgment, be interested in any flavor of freedom that comes from being aware of the different patterns in the mind and not judging, not controlling. Notice how much freedom is already there. And then notice, when you're mindful of afflictive state, notice how it dissolves the affliction. It weakens the affliction. And notice how it strengthens wholesome states of mind. So I'll leave it here. So we have about 10 or 15 minutes. It'd be nice to hear from people. What have you noticed in terms of your own patterns or questions you have? What comes to mind? Learn anything about your personality in the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Yeah, Tom.
0: Um, I, uh... I had a friend who was a good friend and you know, he was listening and being encouraged. He said, Yeah, I think you're you know, I think you're right here. I think you you know maybe you got a point here. And I like Well, maybe but I don't you know, I I, I just didn't really trust you know, did I really Do it? Did I really have a
2: point? Yeah. Do I need to hold on on this point? It's important that I
0: make this point and be heard did my point be heard or just kind of wait and you now it's better. And it, it's always that that's always so incredible and amazing how you know, five days ago I was in a state of mind where I just said, oh boy here we go again depression yeah, yeah, yeah. now I'm you know, back
1: to this guy yeah 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 well you've said a lot of really important things Tom but just the last thing you said let's start there which is, I mean this is a powerful teaching when we start investing more and more in mindful presence one of the The insights we have is how many problems go away without us having to do anything about them even though in the middle of it it felt we felt so compelled so certain at least in moments that this absolutely has to be addressed and and it's not like you had that as a strategy and I don't think we should have it as a strategy necessarily that we'll just wait and this will go away because we're not waiting we're not being passive we're actively trying to show up and be aware of how it is. So it's not about being passive. And if there's something that needs to be done, it's going to happen because we're not stopping ourselves from doing anything either. We're just saying, I'm investing in being mindful, being aware that quiet, clear, even presence with whatever's going on, whether I'm talking to that person or deciding not to talk to that person. That's not, that's not about the practice. The practice is, Are we aware of what's going on? Are we present with what's going on? And the interesting thing is, because we have this new commitment now to be mindful, there is often, you know, uh, we have a greater tolerance for wishy-washiness, not knowing, you know, swinging back and forth, because the mindfulness prevents, it sort of uh, gives us a little bit more resiliency from identification. Generally, our action comes because something arises, the mind gets identified, and we act it out. But if we're mindful, things arise, but we're not getting identified as often. So they arise, and they go. And something else arises, it goes. So it feels like we're being wishy-washy. You know? But we haven't, I never said tonight, don't let yourself act out any of these emotional patterns. Did I, I never said that. It, would be, it wouldn't be incorrect to say that. At least that this you're talking about practices we did tonight. We're just observing. Right? You see things come and go, you see the wishy washiness, but then you realize, oh my God, that turned out to be pretty skillful. You know? Hanging in there and not doing whatever I was inclined to do, oh, that was pretty pretty good of me. Not to, you know, like you might feel like, Oh, I got through that okay. So that that's one interesting thing about that, that uh, that it, it, uh, we often feel that wishy-washiness is an inappropriate strategy for life. And that action, like we value action more than knowing that we don't know. But even though knowing that we don't know, we might have so much more clarity, honest clarity with that than thinking that we do know. I should do this, I should do that, or whatever it might be. So anyway, I wanted to make that point because I think it's really important. And, and also just to remember, you know, this goes back to what you said earlier, Tom, and it's related to what I just said. The point isn't to figure out what you should do about what you're feeling, what you're seeing under the influence of that pattern. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It does matter whether you act out the anger or it does matter if you keep avoiding saying what needs to be said because you're afraid of making a mess, you know. Life is, every situation in life, it's really capable. Uh, we're capable of making a mess of things, and we're also capable of avoiding some of the messes. And sometimes we can't avoid the mess no matter how skillful or confident we might be. But practice is more about learning about the mind than it is about getting through life without making mistakes. So we may make a mistake, but we want to be aware of the mind that's seeing, the mind that's doing. We want to be aware of that pattern, regardless of whether we're making a mistake right now or not a mistake. We want to be aware. Because what we're doing is we're transforming our relationship to both skillful and unskillful. States of mind. Right? We're transforming our relationship to the personality itself, whether it's skillful or not. You could have the most skillful personality, and you'd still have to do this practice. And it's not necessarily, you know, easier for people with skillful personalities, you know, more skill at negotiating life than people who don't have skill. People who don't have skill have more incentive to do this practice. <laughs> people who are really skillful in life and things just fall into, you know, just, they know how to make friends, they know how to get along. They have less incentive, because they think being a personality is working pretty good. Why Why do I need to investigate what this is all about? Other thoughts? Yes,
2: Bruce. I've been honest with myself. Like, why would I want to stick with this? Even though I could tell that it's reading the same thing. And then I think what happened, I put it in the framework we're talking about today, is when I let go and it just was some sort of expansion and spaciousness around it, but it really was oh, that scopeful state was just blossoming
1: because I can let go of color. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see if the letting go was supported initially by like uh, feeling that but not immediately squashing it like it's important to let not necessarily to act out the anger but to let it express itself in the mind so we really see it because when we really see it then there's real letting go but if we try to let go too soon then it's really that parental pattern operating Like oh that's anger I'm not the angry type and then it it doesn't actually drop away it just is still affecting the mind but it's sort of below the surface and you know we've got the parent you know who thinks I'm I'm not going to be angry and then we have the angry anger going oh yeah you know because I know you know and that's this is how we get so crazy because we're trying to control so when we're angry the best thing Is if we can, you know, yes, it is skillful not to act it out, but it isn't skillful to repress it. So to let the anger bloom in the space of the mind, in awareness, oh, because then we really see it. We really see how destructive it is. The heart lets go. No parent needs to be there because it's the seeing how destructive it is that causes the letting go of it. it. How hurtful. Like, it hurts us. I think the Buddha has an image or somewhere in the tradition there's the image. You know, if you want to hurt somebody with your anger, first you have to pick up the red hot, you know, ball, a ball, metal ball. You have to pick it up. Well, who gets burnt first? You do. You know, and you may not even hit the person. <laughs> but for sure, you're going to get burnt pretty badly. Yeah, and then we might have to end here. Mike, so
2: I just want to kind of piggyback the, my experience today. I was i for a bike ride, Noticed my neighbor let cigarette butts sort all over of the place that I started, and you know then cranky, self-righteous, and I was mad at the traffic lights, and mad traffic, and mad at buses existed, and mad that <laughs> <added>, people existed, <laughs> every construction everywhere I turned, and the city of St. Collins, I read every street I turned on, they must have conspired. By, by and, yeah. you weren't a big Yeah. I was really aware that it was happening. It was the same thing. About. I was see how it blooms. Yeah. And then on top of it was the, the, the misery that it caused. And then, so it was like two things. It was that and the misery. And then how the misery can be so compelling. <clears throat> I have a place in the world with my misery. I like, yeah. can go and complain about it. And
1: then it just became ridiculous. So it about 40 something minutes. Yeah. yeah. To play out and, um, it when it got ridiculous, was there a release?
0: Hmm? When it got ridiculous, was there a release? Yeah, that terrible didn't happened with the bus, because the bus went by and someone was like, all buses
2: should be banned. <laughs> all right. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: but, but 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 it was, I mean, it is totally ridiculous, but. The, there was an insight there because you didn't squash it and you you gave you trusted it enough to let it play itself out it wasn't you weren't harming anyone all of a sudden it collapsed on its own way it was so absurd it's so unreasonable so destructive and unpleasant but the point you made earlier Mike I think is real important I, and we might have brought it up last week I can't remember if I did or someone did but about how seductive that feeling is because it it gives us a real stance in the world, you know, when we're angry or we have misery like that. We feel very solid as a person and it can be very seductive. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. It's got to be quick, Margaret. It is quick. I've been carrying this long of anger and I've been
2: noticing it and then I've been saying this thing and it goes under and then 10 seconds later it's the same thing and again I go, no, no, no. It's been happening for weeks.
1: Yeah. it does <laughs> Yeah, 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 that we squash it. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit slash donate.